Hello and welcome to the Glamshuary Podcast, where we talk about the experiential outdoor hospitality industry and glamping. I'm your host, Bobby Marston. We are in episode seven, which means we are with Etienne White and Heartsong Farm. Last we spoke with Etienne, she was explaining all about the Airbnb contest that she entered and eventually won, which led to her getting $100,000 to launch her Glamshuary. It's really exciting. Now that she has the money, what's the next step? Well, for many, it's to get a business legally set up. So in this episode, Etienne's gonna dive into that. She's gonna talk about how she took the steps to get her business legally set and ready to open as a Glamshuary. She's gonna talk about all the things she learned, some of which were pretty surprising. And she'll give some tips and suggestions to any would-be Glamshuary owners out there who are thinking about doing the same thing. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode seven with Etienne White and Heartsong Farm. Hi, Etienne. Good to see you. Hello. Good to see you again, too. So it uh, looks like you're in a different location. Uh, last time there was this beautiful window with yeah. a bright sunlit backdrop, and, mm-hmm. and now it looks like you're in an office of some sorts, or where are you? Yeah, I'm actually in jail right now. Um, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a working jail. It's a place that Good. used to be a jail uh, in the basement. Um, it's a library now in this beautiful, ah. uh, quaint, and very historic town in Wisconsin called Mineral Point. Um, and I'm in the library because it's summer holidays. I'm running around shuttling kids' places, and rural Wi-Fi is hard to come by. Um, but thank goodness for our great library system. All right. So that's a relief that you are not actually in jail, <laughs> no. but just a former jail. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a great segue to talk about legal. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, last we spoke, uh, we, we covered off on Airbnb and how that whole thing came about. And I, I think like the next best thing to talk about is you have the money. Mm-hmm. What's the next step that you take? And, and you could take mm-hmm. a million different steps, but obviously to be mindful and, and responsible with, with the winnings that you got from Airbnb, mm-hmm. you'd want to make mm-hmm. sure that you're dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Mm-hmm. So from a legal perspective, uh, how did you go about starting? What did you try and figure out first? Who did you reach out to to try and figure mm-hmm. those things out? I'm just curious, mm-hmm. you know, how you'd go about taking step A when you want to open a glamshuary. Yeah, and it's really interesting because there really isn't um, any sort of model or framework. If you wanted to rent a room in your house as an Airbnb room, um, you know, you can do that privately quite easily, but you still have to um, have it inspected. You have to make sure that you have smoke alarms. You have to make sure you have, you know, fire extinguishers and you have to, you know, register it, it be, a, you know, a, a, a lodging room. And so there is a clear process for that. And likewise, if I wanted to, you know, build a hotel, um, there'd be a really clear process for that. But having a building that's a different structure to my home at my farm as a place for folks to stay as part of an agritourism operation really kind of falls between a bunch of different places. And so actually the people um, at the county level that I was working with originally um, were, were treating it more like, you know, a kind of Airbnb bedroom, but just in a different building. Um, and they came to find out that really actually, the, and, and so I didn't know and they didn't know, um, really actually it needs to be treated as a campsite. So it's a structure that you camp in and then you go access potable water and showers and flushing toilets and things in a different structure. And so that makes it 
fall under the uh, the kind of the campsite category, if you will. Um, but there are a bunch of different, it's not as easy as like, okay, then, well, then I'm a campsite and I'm going to go, you know, down the rabbit hole and learn all about operating a campsite, if that's, if that's what this is called. Um, it's not as simple as that, you know, campsite operations, for me to be able to host two people at my farm and also at the same time adhere to the campsite code, I have to offer up four to six different bathroom stools um, so that you know, men and women, children even can use them. And that would be to code. But the reason for that is the code has, I think it's, it's either one to 10 or one to five. So if you're the one, <laughs> you have to provide all, the, all those restroom facilities. And so what they've been really great at actually um, is helping create you know, exceptions for me. And obviously they have in some instances done this with others, but all this to say, it really is an area there is not one book of how to do it. There is not one set of rules of how to do agritourism. And so in that sense, it can be quite frustrating. Um, but in the other sense, you can you have the ability in some cases to be creative in the solutions that you're coming up with. And also, you know, one case I can talk about, you know, on a different episode, but one case where we're, you know, we're piloting something that hopefully will be a precedent that will help others, too. Um, so yeah, so from a legal perspective, you basically have to make sure, obviously, you know, your building is going to comply to specific building codes. My septic system needs to be, I need to have a license to operate everything from, um, you know, how the building is made to, you know, are there signposts and maps for people um, to get around because now I'm a campsite. So, um, so in all of that, um, there's been a lot of uh, challenges and a lot of new things to learn. Um, but I have to say, every single person I've worked with has been exceptionally nice about it, even when they have to, in some instances, you know, toe the line and say, you just don't have a choice. Like, I know you want to work around or I know you think you're exceptional in this sense, but this is the rule and we need to follow it in this way. Are there certain steps that you took or maybe would recommend? Like, for instance, do you reach out to the city first and yeah. then the county and then the yeah. state or is there one place that coordinates all of them like yeah. what was your experience there yeah that's a really great question and so for me i live rural so i'm not really affiliated with the city per se so i actually go straight to the county level um for planning and zoning and for sanitation that's straight to the county level um although on some of the things so for example i went to planning and zoning for you know what am i doing with my uh septic and is it okay to build and then for building they'll tell me well, part of your farm is in a floodplain, probably don't want to build there. This is how much your setback is from a creek or a body of water because we have beautiful uh, trout streams running through the farm too. So they were you know, really helpful in that sense. But then they too would say, well, your driveway needs to be compliant, but you'll need to speak to your local town, township about that. And so um, it was at the county level and then coming down to the town level for driveway um, compliance, um, and then actually, you know, with one of them, septic compliance, it went all the way to the state level. So I was working with the county and it had to go all the way to the state. That sounds like a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, with the driveway being compliant, mm -hmm. uh, what do you mean by that? And, and what, what makes something compliant when it comes to a driveway? For the driveway to be compliant, because I'm allowing the public to my farm, um, and again, this would be different if I was just making a private room available at my farm, but I'm building a structure and they're having an experience in it. Um, I need to make sure that that driveway is accessible to emergency vehicles. I need mm -hmm. to make sure that that driveway is going to be wide enough that a fire truck and an ambulance can pass. Um, and so it's, 
you know, one of the beautiful things about my farm is how far away we are from everything, really. Um, and that includes a one third mile long driveway. So it's a very <laughs> big thing to have to change. In fact, at one point, I even considered putting the cabin in a completely different place and putting it much closer to the entrance of where the driveway was. So you wouldn't I wouldn't have had to change everything, you know, if emergency vehicles needed to get to a cabin, it's just here, you know, 100 feet in or something. But the problem then is that now you've broken your distance um, from the structure to the potable water because the structure needs to be within 400 feet of access to water. So I looked at this every which way I could. I actually spent eight months going back and forth with both the town and the county, seeing if there was some exception that could be granted. Maybe we could do it as a pilot. Maybe we could just do this for 12 months and see how it goes without having to change and reconfigure the driveway. We actually had to reroute it in places. Um, so it's a one third mile driveway. It is now 20 feet wide and every 300 feet, it has a 10 by 60 pull off so that a vehicle can pull over and allow passing. Um, and it did get done and um, it did get inspected. It's passed its inspection, which is fantastic. Um, but that was a, a really big expense. More than a third of the winnings actually went on the driveway. And so what, what that meant was that I could no longer do two cabins. I could only do one um, because <laughs> the other money for a cabin is now laying flat in gravel uh, across my driveway. Well, welcome to entrepreneurship. Uh, but yeah. I applaud how you approached it. You know, it wasn't, oh, OK, I can't do exactly what I want to do, so I'm not going to do it. it. It was more, mm -hmm. OK. I'm learning as I go and, and how can I continue mm -hmm. to pivot? So kudos mm -hmm. to you for coming up with a solution that still brings your dream forward. Um, you yeah. mentioned inspections, uh, which I guess I didn't think about that because you can learn about what you have to do, but then I'm assuming the county is probably going to want to send someone out to say, okay, I'm not mm -hmm. just going to take for your word for it. I want to actually see if you did this or not. Mm -hmm. Um, what does that, what does that mean? And, and are you, have you started, uh, looking for labor and things like that? Yeah, so, um, well, inspect inspections are one thing and pretty much everything needs to be inspected um, at different stages. And just with any, you know, sort of commercial build, you know, we're remodeling a bathroom and a kitchen and it will need inspecting before the drywall goes on to make sure that all of that electric, you know, in, 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 the, in the, you know, hidden in the, in the walls is good. And so there's multiple inspections inspections at different stages and at the very last stage there'll be an inspection um, by the folks uh, who are you know um, giving me my campsite permit so I have been given a permit already but it's subject to final inspections um, but in terms of labor finding labor for all of this I would say that finding labor has been the single biggest challenge of this entire process and possibly really? also the single biggest stressor um, and I didn't know, you know, we we were notified back in October that we'd won. What I had no idea of is that good contractors in, you know, where I live locally and it's rural, um, good contractors are all booked out 12 to 18 months. Um, and so then I sort of widened my search and included, uh, you know, the, the nearest, you know, sort of big city um, and was getting quotes. But then those quotes were big city quotes, um, <laughs> which were just untenable for, you know, a small scale build that I was doing. Um, and so that was that was truly the hardest thing. I did eventually find someone um, and then that someone 
uh, bailed on me because they got offered a bigger job. And it was someone who was going to be remodeling the bathroom, the kitchen area and building the cabin. So when I lost that contractor, I lost everything. It wasn't just one piece of it. And so then I was scrambling um, to, to find contractors. Um, at one point, I decided, uh, you know, on the advice of a friend, and it was great advice, to just go drive through the countryside, through Amish country, and stop at random farms where you could hear, you know, cabinets being built, machines whirring, you know, and uh, maybe there'd be the odd sign. But you would stop in, you know, if there was a horse and a buggy there, you could stop in and ask someone, do you know anyone who could do this? And they will tell you, you know four miles east, you know, if you pass the big <laughs> blue barn, you've gone too far kind of thing. Um, and so I spent two days just driving the Amish countryside, basically, um, seeing if I could find help that way too. And we ended up, I didn't end up with a, with a contractor that was Amish, but parts of the cabin, for example, the, the metal, which is the, the roof and the exterior walls, if you will, are fabricated by a great Amish family that I've become connected with. So yeah, I just couldn't take no for an answer, but it was it required lots of um, different ways of thinking. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. And again, I mean, kudos to you for being persistent and 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 not giving up. And I will say one thing um, that I probably could have done at the beginning that would have saved me a ton of heartbreak and stress. Um, and I just didn't think to. And then when it came down to it, I had a lot of trepidation doing it, which was really interesting for me because um, you know, we all like to think we're not driven by ego or we don't really care what people think of us. Um, but this was one of those instances where I didn't want to look really stupid. Um, and it was about asking for help. And I think we're conditioned so many times that asking for help is a sign of weakness. And so because this contractor, you know, bowed out, I think I was five weeks out from my deadline with no contractor. And, and it's full summer in Wisconsin. Every good person worth their salt is busy and booked. And so I, I honestly, you know, was near tears thinking, I'm going to fail. This is, this is not going to happen. And um, I remembered that I'm part of this wonderful community of female farmers. There's actually a listserv of around 300 women. And so I wrote very vulnerably an email to these 300 women. I probably only know about 20, 25 of them, maybe 30. Um, and I just wrote, you know, and kind of blasted this email and I was like, ever get so overwhelmed and wonder, you know, how you got to be so overwhelmed and if you could ever dig yourself out, you know? And I said, that's the position I find myself in, in here. And I explained I'd been let down. I was looking for someone. Do they have any recommendations? Um, and it turned out that the contractor who's doing the bathroom kitchen remodel actually was recommended by one of these women and they're called soil sisters and they really did respond like sisters you know i got a bunch of personal emails back from people saying i don't have any help for you but i just want to say thank you for saying out loud what at one point or another we're all feeling in this busy you know kind of crazy hustle culture that we're navigating um so i felt very supported by it and i actually felt relieved to ask for help and to not kind of bear the burden of finding, you know, a contractor all by myself. And so, uh, yeah, I've now made connections with this really great guy and he's got a great crew and he comes highly recommended. And I'll definitely consider him if I have any other projects and I'll spread his name far and wide too. So, you know, I think back and I think, gosh, if I just written that email months before, I could have probably got, you know, an answer really quickly and, and maybe avoided some of the stress. So it sounds like you have most of the legal figured out. It sounds mm -hmm. like uh, things are under construction. 
Mm-hmm. I think what I'd like to do is is dive into what you're actually building in the next episode because mm-hmm. we really haven't talked a lot about that. Mm-hmm. It sounds like the driveway has been laid. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how exciting it would be to talk about the driveway, but what I would be excited to hear more about is is the structure, the cabin that you're building, and, and mm-hmm. talk about those designs and mm-hmm. and talk a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see you on the next episode, and we'll talk about the cheese cabin. Okay, perfect. Thanks, Bobby. Bye. I'd like to thank Etienne again for opening up and sharing all those experiences. It sounds like she's taking steps and moving through the process and still has a ways to go, which is to be expected when you're breaking ground and putting up new structures. And that's what we want to talk about on the next episode. What is the structure? What is she building? What are the experiences she's going to be providing for folks when they come and stay with her on her farm? We're going to get to that on the next episode. We're really excited to talk about that. If you'd like to follow along with Etienne's journey or Jesse's journey or the podcast in general, you can do so on our website, which is www.glampuary.com. That is www.glamptuary.com. You can also follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pandora Podcasts or Stitcher. You can follow any one of those places. We don't really care where you follow us, just as long as you follow. Thanks so much again for joining us, and we'll see you on the next episode.